Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Learn more at SlashandCast.net. You can now find The Hidden Station on all great places you listen to podcasts. It really helps the show if you give us great reviews and ratings, and please share the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with any potential fans out there. Now, let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, the most ponderous, and most brilliant. As someone who just recently like broke in, shall we say, yeah, like, in the yeah. last year, year and a half, that's definitely a place like I'm trying to be very encouraging to people. I want people to, to believe. Exactly. <laughs> Hold on, because it really happens because that really matters to me. So I'm so happy to, to help out with that. Keep Amazing. Alive. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm very excited to introduce my guest here today. Uh, Kim is a writer and director from Hell's Kitchen, New York. She's a writer for the upcoming Chucky TV series from Sci-Fi and Netflix's The Imperfects. Kim, welcome to The Hidden Station. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Hi, Connor. (laughs) It's so exciting to chat to you, Kim. I saw you talking on a final draft panel a few months ago, or God, maybe, I can't remember, maybe it was in the summer. And, um... Uh, everything that you said in relation to screenwriting it just resonated so much with me um so I was just like every now and again I get a feeling about someone and I'm like I need to talk to that person and just uh, get an idea of what they're about um and of course I've gone onto your website I've watched your short films and (laughs) I'm you know uh following your career from afar on Twitter and Instagram and it's just really exciting to see like how you've broken in. But I'd like to go back a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey into writing horror? Absolutely. Um, I think I was like a lot of kids, like I was, a, you know, I loved movies, TV, books, you know, all kinds of storytelling as a little kid. And um, I think also like a lot of little kids, I, when I loved the movies, I saw the actors. So I think that's for so many of us, that's kind of our first connection to, uh, I want to be that. And I didn't realize what I wanted to be was a storyteller. What I saw was actors, so I thought I had wanted to be an actor. Um, I grew up in New York City, so it's actually a really reasonable place to dream of being an actor. You see, I, I grew up um, like right off of Times Square, so very close to the theater district. Um, went to a lot of shows as a kid. Um, and then ultimately, when it was time to kind of go to college and make some of those choices, I went into creative writing. So I started off in fiction. And um, I worked in book publishing and was really trying, you know, I read a lot of like what they call literary fiction, like the stuff they teach at, you know, university. Um, And I really love those works. And so I was trying to be that writer, trying very hard to tell those type of very grounded stories, you know, about the human condition in these very intimate ways. And I just couldn't, I, I don't know, there was something I just couldn't connect, like, my thought process, what hit the page and what a person read, they were all very disconnected. Um, but what I, I kind of almost on the side because I was being trained in this like literary fiction world, 
was I love horror. I love sci-fi. I love really dark thrillers. Like I love genre and, and I always, always have. Um, so at some point in, in kind of this like burgeoning writer's journey, I decided, well, maybe I should just follow that particular love and not kind of my more recent fascination with, with literature, higher end, as we call it, literature, and just see, is that is that where my voice is? Is that what's been happening to me? Um, I made the transition about 10 years ago and it, it truly was like, like finding yourself. Like, you know, like people say they take that journey to find themselves. And for me, it was very much through writing. And immediately the first, it was almost like the first time I put fingers on the keyboard and started trying to write, you know, for this screen, it felt more comfortable. It felt like it was a world, entertainment is, is a world that loves genre, like really celebrates it. And I, you know, I'm not talking about the Oscars, I'm talking about the fans. Like, you know, this, this is, it, there really is just nothing more beautiful than the genre fan and film and TV. Um, so and I was passion there. So much passion so there. So much passion, yeah. so much intelligence, so much humanity. So, you know, it, it's, it's the type of people who love to be entertained through metaphor, if that makes sense. Like, you know, we have serious conversations. We have troubles with our families and our health and all the things that, you know, that you'll get in, in, a, in a classic drama. But we, you know, we're a little bit of those like, you know, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down people. Like, if you're going to tell me a story about aging, like, I could watch, you know, even those wonderful films, I will do it very directly. Or like, you can watch like Cronenberg, body horror, you know, <laughs> and still have the same terrible feelings that we're all going to get old and melt and die. But like, he like puts it right there. Like somehow for me, that just is such a natural connection. And so when I started writing, you know, for screen, I immediately went into horror. Um, I grew up in, um, our family owned a funeral home in New York City. Like, so right off Times wow. Square, I grew up above our family's funeral home. And so that was such a part of my life. I mean, quite literally the dead body um, in every, you know, way you can imagine, but cleaned up, let's say, let's put it that way. It's not like I was going to like crime scenes. It's a very different world within a funeral home, but that was such a part of my childhood, my young adulthood. When I was in college, I worked the night shift at the funeral home to like pay my way through school kind of thing. So I think all of that really influenced kind of pushing my view of, of everyday life kind of into very intense realms, obviously into the macabre, but also, you know, when you're a little kid and death is right there, you just kind of start dealing with it sooner. You know, maybe I didn't have as long a period of feeling immortal as a lot of like kids and teenagers wow. and, and your 20 somethings yeah. who feel like, you know, I'm going to live forever. Um, so, you know, I wasn't the first one to like jump out of an airplane, but like risk taking in life. Like, that's my thing. Like, I'm going to go for the dream no, no matter how long it takes, like, and wow. not worry about as much about paying bills. Um, and so, yeah, so ultimately I found horror because it was the true me. And when you find the space where your true self is what everybody wants, that's when you find your voice. Like, I was able to be so free and dark and weird and funny and all the things that horror is so good at um, and able to do it with complete abandon because that's what my genre loves. Um, so yeah, so it really came, I think like so many people, I just loved horror as a kid, never got over it. <laughs> I hope no one ever gets over it. Um, and then when it finally came and I couldn't find my writer's voice, it was going back to that really basic sense of self. What do you like? And it ended up being the place where I, where I could thrive. And there's such fascinating awareness there of your own experience and 
uh, outlook. I mean, it's such a unique um, take on the world, like being faced with, confronted with death as such a normal part of life, as it is such a normal part of life, but the average person is trying to avoid it. Um, so that has to feed into your uh, voice and your sensibility as an artist. I think that's that's just really fascinating. The Resurrection Trilogy, can you tell me a little bit about that as with your background as an indie filmmaker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was the uh, the Resurrection Trilogy is the first three short films I wrote and directed. Um, the first one, uh, it's called Vivian Again. I was starting to transition from fiction to screenwriting. Um, and so I was taking some classes. I was trying to figure out, you know, what are the differences? How do I get, you know, how do I get my skill set up in this new form of writing? Uh, and I was just so struck by how in fiction you write very much to the reader. Um, there's an editor, there's there's some process in there, but it's nothing like film and TV. In film and TV, when you finish writing, if you're not directing or producing or involved at all anymore, like in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of people will, will touch the script before it ever gets to an audience. And it felt, I felt so disconnected. I felt like, I, how am I ever gonna learn how to do this thing if I'm always stopping like at stage one? So I figured, what the heck, let's try the directing part for the sake of understanding how the writing would work. Write and direct, edit, learn all the lessons, go back to the beginning. I figured it would make me a stronger writer. And when I decided to do that, I think like a lot of people who, you know, have limited resources, I looked around to see what was a, kind of what were the, the advantages that I did have. And we all have something that's special. Mine happened to be a funeral home. That was truly the one thing I had that was unique and special um, and, I, and I could have access to. And I felt like it would give great production value to my film, you know, um, by using a true environment. I had at first thought I would write a comedy. I really thought I was getting into comedy <laughs> at one point. And I thought, oh, the funeral home would be great for a black comedy. And when I sat down to start working on it, I, it absolutely did not feel like black comedy. It went right back to being a little kid in the funeral home, standing over the dead body, staring at them. And you know how you stare at something for a long time, you, you think it moves. Like I would see an eyelid twitch or a little finger move and freak myself out and run away. Like that kind of thing. But then come back because it's oh, yeah, not exactly real. It's your wonderful imagination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, okay. oh, that thing. Yeah, yeah. So, the, if, so everyone who works at a funeral home, a morgue, or anywhere there, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. If you stare at something long enough, you swear you see it come to life. Oh, my goodness. So I went right back to that feeling of what would happen if one of the dead bodies came back to life. And I was like, okay, let me just scratch that itch. I wrote that film quite literally about that topic. Um, using a funeral home employee as the main characters, just a world that I really knew. And then when I was finished with that, I realized I kind of created like a story world and I'd made a, you know, whatever it was, 11 minute film. And I got really curious and it was all curiosity driven. Well, you know, these particular characters in this first film who I don't explore, I wonder who they are. I wonder how they become who they are. So I went ahead and made a second film that kind of tells that story. And that story kind of led me into well, these are all the characters of the supernatural. What would it be like to be just the like normal human family member of someone who's been resurrected? Again, just looking at it from every point of view. And then I made the third film. And actually that trilogy really helped me to see ultimately when I moved to LA that serialized writing, TV writing, episodic writing, um, build a world then tell lots of stories within it was something that I was so naturally attracted to that I did it on my own with no encouragement. Um, and it directly led me to choosing TV writing when I got here because it felt like you're, you're already in that space. It's already what you love, episodic writing. So just 
dive in and go for it. And did you just thinking out loud here, did you feel like that was a definite choice that you had to make, that it had to be kind of one or the other TV or film? Is that is that just the norm in L.A.? I don't know if it's the norm. I know it was some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it should be the norm. But no, it, again, so, so quick sidebar, every single time a person tells you their story of breaking in, Always remember that's their story, sure. their journey. No two are alike. Mm. So for me, what it was so valuable is when I did move to LA, I came here very much thinking I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to write for TV. I'm going to write for film. Why not? Why would we limit ourselves when we feel like we're completely capable? And I still believe that absolutely about myself. That said, I spent about a year when I got here just absolutely floundering. No idea what I was doing. Didn't know folks. Didn't know how. I didn't even understand the scope of the industry, nevertheless, where the door to get in was. Um, so after a year of just kind of fumbling, and, and it's really how I felt, like on a treadmill, getting nowhere, I ended up going to a screenwriting coach, um, and actually a business coach, not, not um, you know, the craft, but the yeah, business. Yeah, not story, I really... more career goals kind of thing. Exactly. And her name is Lee Jessup for your listeners, if they want to look, at, look, look her up. But um, one of the things she encouraged me to do right away was to make some choices. Um, and it's kind of the idea of if you're trying to go in the writing door and the directing door, it's not surprising you hit the wall in the middle, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's also a town that loves to be able to quickly sum you up. And a lot of people see that as a bad thing, but I feel like, look, it's an industry, it's a business. I know I'm in a commercial business. Um, so I like to think to myself, what if it was a game of telephone? I don't know if you guys have that game, but the game where you kind of whisper into someone's ear, right. some yeah. sort of phrase. And then you kind of pass it along and see if it comes out accurate or if it's like okay. hysterically been changed. Okay. So if you think of it that way, I meet an exec. I want them to be able to turn around and quickly be able to say to someone, I met this woman. She grew up in a funeral home. She writes horror and she's looking to break in a TV. Like you can remember that. From Hell's Kitchen. From Hell's Kitchen. Even better. <laughs> exactly. And so I actually found it was incredibly advantageous to focus to say, okay, I'm going to put all of my effort mm. in terms of craft, networking, um, branding, just everything I do, I'm going to hit the genre TV door with everything I've got wow, and okay. let people who I know say, I know someone who's looking to do that. Otherwise, it's always like, yeah, she writes, she directs, yeah. she's filmed, she's TV. Mm -hmm. You just can't recommend someone short of saying, I think she's awesome. So I wanted better than that. Totally. Yeah. Because I think there's this kind of misconception when when you're trying to break in that it's like oh well, i do everything and i'm great at this and i'm great at that and it's like maybe you are great at all those things but when it comes down to someone who's looking to specifically staff a show or hire someone for a specific job it's like you want them to have that specific oh kim is that she's that person yeah who you know has all these kind of um specific qualities lee jessup uh i listened to her on a podcast and she said that a lot of young writers are um worried that they'll be pigeonholed you know and she said you should be so lucky to be pigeonholed you know it's like yep. if, like are you worried that some executive is going to think that you're a horror writer then it's like that's what you should want you know so i think when i heard that that really resonated but the other thing that really resonated and like look this is a story that i basically heard you tell before somewhere else but i would love to you to share it here with my listeners if you don't mind and basically it's your reaction to seeing the show the haunting of hill house uh when that came out could you tell us about that yes absolutely um i i love 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 that show and i was I wish I, I wish I could remember the exact year it was, but I was deep in the breaking in. I had made films. 
I knew my lane. I knew I wanted to do horror. I knew TV. I was absolutely excited about it. And then Haunting at Hill House comes out and it is a family drama, uh, often set in a funeral home with supernatural elements and a ghost story and really just so perfect for me. Like it felt like when, when I saw that it was going to have a whole main character who owned a funeral home. I was actually for a minute kind of heartbroken. I felt like that was that was it. That was the show I was supposed to break in on. If there was ever a show that screamed my name more loudly, that I would have gone and just given everything I have to, to the room because it already was me. It was that show. So I, I loved it and I still love it. But there was a tiny little voice in me that was like, damn, was that your on-ramp? And did you miss it? Um, and it turns out, no, <laughs> that it almost felt, looking back, it felt like that was almost a moment telling me, it means you're, you're getting ready. It means you're starting to put together a package of a person and a writer and a, and a set of experiences that shows like Hill House would, would respond to. Did I think it would be Chucky? Of course not. No, it's like, you have no idea what that first show will be. Is Chucky absolutely perfect for me? Absolutely perfect for me. So you will get this sense at different times in this breaking in journey that that was your moment. That was it. You should have had it and it should have been you. And the truth is, if you really are going to have a career, you're going to need so many moments to build a full career. So you miss that wave. But what does a surfer do? Get ready for the next one. And so that's what you want to do is just be ready for that next wave. Every time you miss an incredible wave, let it, let it just spur you on. Let it get you to think, okay, I actually am a really good match for this. It's just, I'm not quite there yet that they would consider me for that show. But eventually, if you keep going, keep focusing on, on really on your craft and, and whatever lane you're going to try to break in through, um, there's so much opportunity eventually. It's just, it may not be that moment that you think. And that's the hard part. <laughs> I love that story so much because I think as writers, we've all had that experience where we're working on something, we're spending all our time writing something. It's our story. This is our baby. And then we see like a trailer just come out for a movie that we're like, oh my God, that's my thing. Or is that like my thing? Or no, it's not like it, but it's close. <laughs> or, you know, and there's all these kind of almost obstacles that can turn into excuses for us not to uh, persevere and pursue our dreams. And I think for you to ha have such a reaction to something that is so specifically your mm -hmm. experience that like I, right you know i i think i think when i when i saw you doing that panel i think the writer of uh haunting hill house was actually on that same panel and you yes. said this he to was him on the other panel <laughs> he was he was right it was the only other person on it with me and i knew like yeah. if it came up i was gonna tell this story Amazing. Uh, yes it, it really was that big a moment for me and it definitely was a moment where i either could have said I've missed the wave mm -hmm. or look mm -hmm. at me. I'm out in the surf. This is really going to happen. I'm going to totally. be ready. Totally. And then the fact that you are working on these shows proves that you can keep going, you know? Um, and uh, can you tell me a little bit about the the experience of working on something like Chucky? Like it's such an iconic thing. I'm sure a lot of things are kind of like, you know, confidential. The show's not out yet as far as I know. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. But what can you tell me about like writing for uh, an iconic uh, character like that? It, it really was as amazing as your horror <laughs> listeners will think. <laughs> Oh, so I mean, everyone's like, I know, so, I know. Yeah. every Chucky, so I'm actually speaking to the diehard Chucky fans who right. were like there since kids. I swear you're going to look at this and think, oh my God, that was my moment. I should have been there. No one knows Chucky <laughs> better than me. <laughs> no one loves Chucky better. Like yeah. you're thinking that and I hear you and I'm telling yeah. you, 
it just wasn't your specific moment. It just means that my family owned like a doll factory, you know, and I used to make. Oh. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyone whose family owned a doll factory, you might want to hurry up though. <laughs> that's going to be valuable it was so so part of what was so extraordinary about being on chucky just two things that are deeply related one is that chucky um maintains canon for the entire 30 plus years it's wow. it's really one of the only horror franchises and I mean, there might be others and i'm sure your your mm. listeners will know but from my perspective it really is just so unique in that yes. we're telling the story that started in 1988 with child's play and 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 the creator um don mancini who has stayed with the franchise all the way through, has kept that continuity all the way through. He's, I mean, it, it's it's had like subgenre shifts within the franchise, but it never broke story continuity. So, so one of the first amazing things is the stuff we'll do on this show becomes, you know, part of the Chucky canon. Um, and, and that's just thrilling as a horror fan to think that you have the chance to pitch and write for Chucky. And then that story has to be the Chucky story. Like it has to stay. That's how this franchise works. Um, so, so you literally get to write dialogue for Chucky, like that's insane. Um, and then the other incredible part was having Don Mancini himself be our showrunner, be there with us every single day. It gave us the freedom, I think without him there, you would never know if you're writing truly to Chucky. We're all gonna do our absolute best, but nobody knows, nobody's the keeper of this franchise like Don. And that was actually very freeing. You would think it would be intimidating, but instead, we really quickly discovered he wanted other points of view. He wanted to hear our stories. He wanted to build this show as a team. But he was always there. You know, you think Chucky will do something or say something. You know, and again, I won't give away the, the, his secrets. But there are certain things that Chucky doesn't does, does not do. Okay. And he was always there just to catch us, like when we fall, kind of thing. When you're pitching something, he's like, Chucky yeah. wouldn't do that. Yeah. And you're like, oh, good point. And he, sure. but then he would kind of guide you towards what he would do. Um, so that was really incredible. Just being part of a franchise you just really don't normally get to just jump into that story world and write for it so it was truly amazing and the show's gonna be great I'm just <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I really can't wait to see it like I mean I do remember obviously I would have seen Child's Play by itself you know years ago but then I remember like a few years later you know sometimes you just take a notion and you're like oh I'm gonna just like watch that entire franchise and I watched <laughs> over the space of like a week I watched like all of them and I just loved how they all connected like you say and um they're also they're each one is kind of so different to the last but still kind of true mm -hmm. to the uh the characters and of course the wonderful jennifer tilly who is just oh, like absolutely amazing and i don't know has it been announced is she uh, is she on the show or is that that has been announced it well. has been announced yes, okay she's on she's gonna be in it um as amazing. well as and it's also been announced alex vincent who's the original andy barkley from the first two movies oh, what <laughs> <laughs> Christina Christina Lee, who played Kyle in the second movie, remember his foster sister. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, she's also going to be in it. For your your listeners, if you haven't caught the the sixth and seventh films, the last two films, um, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. If you're really like excited for the show, those are great to watch because those will kind of give you some of the new characters that are going to be coming. Okay. They've already announced Fiona Dorif, for example who's Fantastic. Brad Dorf's daughter, who's also now a main character in the franchise. 
they're all going to be coming for this show. It is Chucky. It's not, oh. you know, it's not not Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. I love that. I think that's just so wonderful. Look, thanks so much for sharing that with me. Of course. So, like, I talk to writers all the time. You know, I'm a writer myself. My partner's a writer. Lots of our friends and colleagues are writers. And, you know, one of the things that comes up with nearly every writer that I talk to is, you know, the struggle. The struggle of like um you know there's a scene of rejection there's uh the, it's it's hard writing is hard you know it's hard to make yourself write it's hard to like fix like story, story problems and you know i think there's a lot of kind of like despair when um you're not like kind of, if you feel like you're not progressing like is there anything you have to say to us writers and like maybe some advice that you wish you'd gotten like slightly earlier on in your career probably one of the big things and, and i hope your your listeners who are writers are trying to do this as actively as possible is, is to build a writer community. Nobody understands the struggle of a writer like another writer. Nobody understands the break-in process like someone else is breaking in next to you. Um, your writers groups, when you go to mixers or networking events, whatever you can do in your local town, find those writers, the internet makes it so easy and build that community. So much of it is is not going it alone. And you'll have people in your community who will break in and break out and it's an extraordinary feeling and, and try your best not to compare yourself in terms of, oh, they did it, I didn't. Really focus on if they did it, so could I. Because that's just as valid as if they did it, you know, as the other way. Um, so really build a strong community. It takes so much time. I mean, I do consider myself still so beginner of this journey. And as I'm starting to work with people who are, who are experienced and professional, you know, at really high levels, I'm struck by just how new I am to all of this. So you have to give yourself just a good period of time to actually learn how to write. And that's what's the hardest part is the difference between who you want to be as a writer and who you are as a writer. There's that gap for a very, very, very long time, probably forever. And it's learning to kind of just, how do you get comfortable in that gap? How do you accept your taste will always be better than your, your skills. And that's great because then your skills will spend the rest of your life trying to catch up, but it's very frustrating, but that's what everyone is doing. Your favorite writer on earth through all of history has done exactly that. So if they can do it, you truly can. And then the last one is if you have the ability to make short films, make them. Because as you are learning the craft, especially if you're, you're trying to write for the screen, you really, in my opinion, get the fastest lessons by write, direct, edit, start again. Take those lessons, put it into the next project. And even if you're doing it just to speed up learning your craft, it'll speed it up a ton. That was very much what happened to me. I could have had 10 more years trying to break in craft-wise, not business, not networking. Um, I really think making four short films, writing and directing and trying so much stuff out on the page and seeing how it failed or succeeded on the screen kept making me a better writer. Um, so those are probably the three things that, that I think would make a difference. Community, <laughs> accept that you're never going to be as good as you want to be. Just accept it. It's just never going to happen. It's a weird thing. And then, you know, try to make something, make work. If you can, if you can actually put something on the screen and learn from it and then do it again, you will learn faster. Amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm inspired already. And I was hearing, <laughs> the, I was hearing the inspirational music swelling underneath your speech there. It was, honestly, that that's such valuable <laughs> advice. And it means so much coming from you because you have broken in and I have heard you talking about the struggle and the frustration. Mm -hmm. And it's so uh, refreshing and reassuring to hear that. The last question I have for you, Kim, if you've got time for one more, is a question I ask Absolutely. everyone. What do you think, as a horror writer, what do you think makes something scary? Oh, oh boy. 
going beyond the obvious, you know, all the techniques of craft, those things obviously make things scary, literally. But I think beyond that, I think it's tapping into, I think it's very clear, universal fears in a specific way. So like you take the fear of aging and you do it really specific. I, I mentioned Cronenberg style, like the fly or something that you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm gonna get old and decrepit and die. But like you do it really specifically from a universal theme. So I've never gone into a, a you know, a time travel machine or, you know, a, whatever, I can't remember the machine, what he called them, fly and had a fly and turned it. I never had any of that happen. But have I looked ahead and thought to myself, oh my gosh, someday <laughs> everything's gonna fall, everything. Of course. So again, it's that universal feeling. He did it so specifically, but I, I was able to be affected and horrified, in this case, horrified, not scared, um, by its being specific. Like, so again, it's a weird thing. So I, I'm really fascinated with like dysfunctional families and debt. And there are two huge issues for a lot of people. And it's, it's very, also very fierce, but I'm gonna tell those stories in really, really specific ways. I don't care if you've experienced the details. I feel like if I give you a very detailed you know, experience, you're gonna make the connections to your own personal life. You'll fill in the details from your life. But I wanna connect to you in a place where I know you are already afraid and I'm gonna figure out a way to get in there and just like start mucking with the works until you know we've explored something horrifying. <laughs> amazing there you go <laughs> that is that's I'm, I'm always happy i asked that question because i always get a different answer but it's always full of wisdom that's so great kim thanks so much for uh coming onto the show i'm really looking forward to chucky looking forward to the imperfect and everything else that you do i'm sure you've got loads of cool stuff cooking and that we'll talk about uh, at some other stage in the future but until then thanks so much kim such a pleasure thank you coming That's it for this installment of The Hidden Station. I'm your hellish host, Hallie Dowling. And remember, the world is a terrifying place with many a tale to tell. I hope you get to tell yours before it's too late. The Hidden Station was produced, hosted, and written by me, Connor Dowling. A big thank you to all our supporters and contributors. If you'd like to write a story or a song for the podcast, please get in touch on any of our social channels or email me on howlingdowlingstation at gmail.com.